continue on looking at authentic friends, and we've been looking at different types of relationships that are important to us, and today the relationship we're going to be looking at is raising your, your children, it's raising friends, how do you grow um, your kids, and so we're going to be looking at how to, how to grow kids that will genuinely be out for your good as they grow older. Um, I realize I'm speaking to an audience of people who, who may not be in the stage of parenting, and that's okay. Um, I'm trying to hit everyone with this message. So here's who I'm speaking to, parents who are still raising kids, if that's you. If you're raising kids right now, this is certainly for you, easy to apply because y- you understand what we're talking about directly. If you're a grandparent and your kids are still, you know, you're still involved with your grandchildren, then again, this is something that you can uh, be looking at and just trying to think that, okay, how can I still apply this stuff to my life? Um, maybe even encouraging your children who may be adults raising their kids. Looking at some of the key things that need to happen. Uh, maybe you're a teenager um, and you're a young adult. You might even have some kids. There's, there's definitely, um, you know, some different stages in the room. And so if you're a, if you're a kid, a teenager, or a young adult, there's just some critical things that must happen in your lives that your parents are probably trying to pay attention to. They're trying to focus on. And so um, if you're here and your kids are already grown in a house and they're not really close to you, uh, maybe there's some distance, maybe there's just been some difficulty in your relationships, um, then what I'm sharing today is not meant to condemn you. It's not meant to um, discourage you. It's really meant to be a help to you. And so you feel like in some areas... You know, you, there's a strain there. Um, just try to think through these insights and figure out how can I help the people that are still in my life, the grandkids, the young ones that are in my life, because there's just still some things that God would want you to apply. Sometimes what happens is life moves along. Get, we get doing life, whether it be marriage or parenting, and we start doing things our own way, and all of a sudden we get down the road pretty far and we realize that we're much further away from the life that we had hoped to be living. And we look back and we try to figure out, how did I get to this point? And we have sometimes lots of regrets, especially in the area of parenting. I think um, all of you that are parents, you know, recognize that you have a limited amount of time to shape the values in your children. And um, sometimes we do the best we can and your child still goes a different direction. They decide to, to do life on their own. So what we're going to be talking about today isn't a 100% foolproof recipe. Like, do these things, and this is exactly the outcome that you can expect. Um, But these are some key things that the Bible says is involved in parenting and raising your children. There's real value and wisdom in the Scriptures about how to do this successfully. But even if you do everything right on your end as a parent, um, your child is still independent. And they, they do need to come to a point where they make decisions and choices. Um, the Scripture gives us all sorts of guidance to help us in this journey, though. Um, we tend to think that child raising is all by chance. That it really doesn't matter what we do. That our kids are going to do what they want to do. So whether we're good parents, applying what God has to say, or not, it doesn't really matter. We tend to think, oh, it's just left up to chance. And so, um, But whatever is left up to chance truly is usually not a good thing. When you just decide to play a passive role in life in areas like marriage, parenting, relationships, decision-making, and you decide to ignore what God has to say and you just leave it up to chance, generally speaking, you'll end up down the road with all sorts of regrets 
and disappointments. And I wish I would have done it differently. Um, there's a lot that God wants from us in this area of parenting. So as I've been just reflecting on this message, a couple passages have come to, um, have really come to my mind. One is in 1 Samuel, and I want to start there. It's in 1 Samuel chapter 2 and 3. Um, we've got a few of the verses on the, we'll have a few of the verses on the slide in just a second. But in, in the Old Testament, well, let me just kind of back up for a second. There's a story in, in the book of 1 Samuel of um, contrasting two different types of children. Um, there's one son named Samuel. He was born to a lady named Hannah who had prayed. God gave her the ability to have a, a child. And she dedicated or devoted her child back to the Lord. And said, Lord, if you'll give me a child, I'll give him back to you for all the days of his life. And, and when God blessed her with a child, she did that very thing. She took him to the temple at a very young age, and she basically entrusted him to the, the priest there and said, I'm going to visit you on occasion, bring you new robes and things like that, but this is going to be your life. You're going to be devoted to the ministry of the Lord. And the priest that was in charge, his name was Eli. And Eli had two sons who were very wicked men. And you read about in the, in the book of 1 Samuel, kind of bounces back and forth between the description of Samuel's life and the sons of Eli. And their names were, I always get it mixed up, Hophni and Phinehas, I think. My son always says, it's like Phineas and Ferb. There's some cartoon characters. I'm like, no, it's not. But Well, maybe it is. I don't know. I haven't seen the cartoon. <laughs> but, but there's these two sons. So there's this contrast going back and forth between a, a, a son who's been devoted to the Lord and he's walking in his ways and he has a heart to hear from God. And then there's, and then there's these sons that really do their own thing. And so I want to just address a few of the things that the wicked sons did. And I want you to look at the regret that comes up in the dad. So this is First uh, Samuel chapter 2, verse 12. It says, Eli's sons were wicked men. They had no regard for the Lord. I don't know if you've got this on your slide, but it's going to go on and say in verse 13, and that was the practice of the priests with the people that whenever any, anyone offered a sacrifice and while the meat was still being boiled, the servant of the priest would come with a three-pronged fork in his hand. He would plunge it into the pan or the kettle or a cauldron, and the priest would take it up for himself, whatever the fork brought up. This is how they treated all the Israelites who came to Shiloh. I'm going to explain this in just a second. But even before the fat was burned, the servant of the priest would come and say to the man who was sacrificing, Give the priest some meat to roast. He won't accept boiled meat from you, but only raw. And if the man said to him, Let the fat be burned up first, and then take whatever you want, the servant would then answer, No, hand it over right now. If you don't, I'll take it by force. So what was happening in this situation was the sons of Eli, they were priests themselves. They were serving in the Lord's, um, in the Lord's temple. They were really, they had moved beyond um, their duties. They decided to live lawless lives. Um, they didn't respect the ways of God. And so they just, there was certain uh, Old Testament laws as far as what the priests were supposed to do, the meat they were supposed to eat, how they were supposed to be prepared. What, what, what was supposed to be done with the fat as far as an offering, a burnt offering to the Lord. And these two sons, they decided, oh, you know, we don't care about the way that God says it needs to be done. We're going to do what we want. So they would have their servants plunge and grab the meat as they would want it. They, they didn't want it boiled. They would want the raw meat so they could go and cook it themselves and roast it. They, you know, they wanted to be in control of how their steaks were cooked in a sense. And now they didn't want the fat 
offered up to the Lord, they took it while the fat was still on it. Because, again, they wanted what they wanted for themselves. Verse 17 says, This sin of the young men was very great in the Lord's sight, for they were treating the Lord's offering with contempt. You know, they, they decided to live without God's laws. It's lawlessness is a way to describe this. And later on what you find is that not only did they mistreat their duties in the offerings of the Lord, but later it tells you, um, you know, Eli, who was an older man, he was losing his sight, and that's why his sons were performing these priestly duties, because he was no longer able to. Verse 22 says that Eli, who was very old, he heard about everything his sons were doing to all Israel and how they slept with the women who served at the entrance to the tent of meeting. And so he confronted them and he said, hey, why are you doing these things? Because not only were they mishandling the offering, but they were also sleeping with the women who were at the entrance of the tent of meeting. Now, again, you can you can imagine, you know, here's the here's the priest, Eli, God's man and his two sons are acting um, without restraint at all. Um, something needed to be done. Now, he spoke up, but he didn't restrain him. And that was the real problem. God's judgment came eventually through Samuel, this young boy who God was, you know, who had a real respect for God and who was listening to what God said. And in it, God spoke to Samuel. Here's one of the things that Samuel that God said to Samuel. This is in 1 Samuel chapter 3. And the Lord said to Samuel, See, I am about to do something in Israel that will make the ears of everyone who hears of it tingle. And at that time will carry out against Eli everything I spoke against his family from beginning to end. For I told him that I would judge his family forever because of the sin he knew about. His sons made themselves contemptible and he failed to restrain them. You can read the story in first and second Samuel or second first Samuel, second and third chapter to really get the, the gist of all the details. But here you have a dad who plays a passive role in his parenting. His sons, who should have been serving in a certain way, they took advantage of their position. They lorded it over others in order to get what they wanted. And the scripture says he didn't restrain them. He may have spoke up, but he didn't do anything about it. Now at that point, these are these are um, his his boys were not little kids anymore, you know. You get the indication that they're they're young adults. And the job of parenting, of child raising, in, in many ways it was already done. There's not a whole lot that could have been done at that point. But he still failed to restrain his sons from um, from what they were doing. And as I read that story, it makes me think of the regret that can happen in our lives if we just decide to play a real passive role in this area of raising our kids. So what I want to do is lay out some principles from the Scripture of, of how to you know, raise your kids in a way that you, you won't have major, major regrets. Now, you may be saddened by choices, but you know, I think we all want to know that we've done all that we can in the lives of our kids to, to say, you know what, I, I've done my part, and God, I entrust them to you. So I'd like you to do this. Suppose that your child is now 30 years old. For those of you who don't have kids, suppose you had a child, and he's 30 years old. The key question I ask is, what kind of friend would you want? I think raising friends, in a sense, is when, you, when you're raising your children, we have to keep in mind that someday these children will become adults who I hope will want to relate to me. I hope they will have a desire to be my friend, in a sense, and not um, be so to the point where they have no respect for me or completely irritated with me, 
But we're going to be looking at, what does that take? Suppose your child's now 30. Do you want a friend who is, we'll look at some contrasting things here. Do you want a friend who's a pain to relate to? No, you don't. You want someone who, who, who relates easily. He, he, can, he or she can get along well with others. They're not easily upset. They learn to kind of handle their emotions. Every time something is going on that's, that's a bad situation, they don't just lose it. They don't blow their top all the time. You want someone who relates easily with others. They forgive. They admit that they've been wrong. Again, another question. Do you want someone who's selfish? Who would care less for your needs or your feelings? No, of course not. We want someone who's considerate of others. We want someone who's, who's genuinely interested in the welfare of other people in their life. Do you want someone who will not pull their own weight? You know, they, they just keep mooching off of you? No. Again, you want someone who can carry their own load. They do their own share in life. They, they're responsible. So you have that in mind as a parent. You're trying to, to raise them. Do you want someone who's manipulative and has strategies and schemes in order to get what they want? Again, the obvious answer, no. We don't want that. We want someone who respects other people. We want someone who treats others right. They recognize that there's boundaries and there needs to be issues of respect and dignity for others. We want also someone who's trustworthy. You know, we want, we want to know that the 30-year-old son or daughter of ours who we've raised is trustworthy. They can be good stewards. They, can take, they know how to take care of what has been entrusted to them. They tell the truth. They keep their word. They're, they're rightly loyal. You know, they know how to, to keep loyalties with other people. We also, you know, we also want someone who, who makes good decisions. As a dad, this is something that's really important to me. I have two sons. This is kind of a scary thought. You know, I have a six-year-old, and a, or an almost six-year-old, a three-year-old, and a little baby girl on the way, due in two months. And, but as I read the stories of these two sons, and as I read other stories of, of priests' sons, that, you know, that really hits home. Because as a pastor, I think, man, this is, there's a pattern. And, and not only is there a pattern in the Scripture, but there's a pattern in our society of, of people in ministry who's, who are so focused on the ministry that they neglect their children. And their children end up hating God, resenting them. I don't want that. You know, I read this and it, it, it's like, a, it's like a, a slap to the face because I really, it, these stories keep me in check. <laughs> and thankfully I have other men in my life who keep me in check in this area and who who will check up on me if, if they see me playing a passive role. But th- this is a very important area. I want to know that when my sons are 30, that they're the kind of person that can be trusted. I want them standing beside me when I'm however old I'll be in 30 years. Lord willing, I'm still here. I want to know that you know, I've got my sons, Lord willing, beside me, standing up for the right kinds of things. That, that, that their goals are truly for other, you know They want to see other people uh, I think that's what we all want. My my youngest or my oldest son, we were on a bike ride, and he told me some things about his future. <clears throat> and he said he wanted to he wanted to beat up bad people. And I said, well, why do you want to do that? Because he, he he made a book and he showed himself beating up the bad people, like the Incredible Hulk. And I was like, isn't he a bad person, sort of, but who has an anger problem? <laughs> but but I was trying to find out what he was. You know, trying to say, and he just said he wants to stand up for what's right. You know, like Spider-Man and the superheroes, and 
You know, that's a good thing. You know, it's a good thing. It's a noble thing to raise men and women who want to stand up for what's right. So how do you do that? How do you come up with somebody like that when they're 30? Well, you have to train the person. You, you have to train the friend that you want. If that's the kind of friend I want, then I have to train them. It's my role as a parent to train them. And something about children is our child, when you're training, you're training a squirrely heart. Your child has a squirrely heart, just like you and me. You know squirrels, right? Squirrels live in trees. Who, who's ever had a squirrel for a pet? We have nobody. Why is that? Because they're hard to what? Catch. They're squirrels. They're here. They're there. Have you seen in cartoons? The squirrels are the, the animals that always look like they're on some sort of a drug that's making them, you know, just constantly on the move. And in cartoons, that's the role they play. They're here, they're there, they're all over the place. They talk really fast and they're squirrely. You cannot kind of, you can't get them to, to land and, and slow down. They're all over the place. Well, that is, that is what we find the scripture says about our hearts. Our hearts are squirrely. They're all over the place. There's some good in there and there's some bad in there. And we have to be trained. And that squirreliness has to be trained out of us. And it's our parents' job. And for you as parents, it's your job to train that squirreliness. There's three problems we all have. We're not going to look in great detail at this. We've talked about this many times. But there's these three problems that are in our hearts. First, we're all stubbornly selfish. Every single one of us in our hearts resides self-centeredness. Proverbs 22.15 says this, Folly is bound up in the heart of a child. From the very beginning of our lives, we have this stubborn self-centeredness. That word folly can be translated as stubborn self-centeredness. We want what we want in life. The rod of discipline will drive it far from Him. The Scripture says it's our role to correct us, to discipline in the area of folly. When it comes to stubborn self-centeredness, we cannot allow just that to run reckless in our children. If we always give and indulge our children with what they want, that will become a real, real problem for when, for when they become adults. So they, we all have this in our hearts, stubborn self-centeredness. Secondly, we have arrogance in our heart, the Scripture says in Ecclesiastes 9.3. In, in this passage, Ecclesiastes 9.3, you don't have it on the, on the screen, but it just says, The hearts of men, moreover, are full of two things, evil, one, and there's madness in their hearts while they live. All of our lives, we're going to deal with these two things of arrogance or madness. Scripture uses the word madness. <clears throat> the Hebrew is haolela. It just means, I praise myself. We, we, we lift ourselves up above others and we think we're more deserving. And so not only do we want what we want, we're stubbornly self-centered, but we also des- we feel like, you know what, I deserve to get what I want. I'm slightly more important than everyone else in this room. And, I, and we, we do this in life as adults. Um, but it doesn't start as we reach 21. It starts, you see it in a two-year-old. I deserve it. I want that toy and I want it now. It may be their toy, but I deserve it. I see this in my children. You've probably seen this in your children. This type of thing in our hearts, it's, it's, it, will real, it will create real problems, again, in adulthood. The third thing is there's a hurtful side to us. In our hearts, we have evil, the Scripture says. There's evil. There's this willingness to harm others who stand in our way for getting what we want. So we have these problems. And you wrap all those three things up and you've got a squirrely heart that needs to be trained. The Scripture goes on in the Old Testament talking about 
five patterns of folly or five foolish lifestyles that grow out of these three heart problems. And just real quickly, they're in your outline, I think. And these are patterns you want to recognize, you want to see, and you want to try to work your children past these things. Help them to not stop at these lifestyle strategies. The first one is a lazy liar. Some children will grow up and they won't learn how to bear any responsibility. They'll take the easy, passive approach in most of life. And as adults, they will become lazy liars. They'll never work. They'll find anything to do with their time but work. And then anytime anyone asks them, why aren't you working? They'll come up with more and more excuses. This is an approach to life that, that adults find themselves trapped in. They can't find their way out. As parents, we need, to, we need to understand that the root of that comes from the stubborn self-centeredness and the arrogance and the evil, hurtful harm that we have in our hearts. Now, you might be thinking, man, we're talking about children, right? They don't have harm in their hearts, do they? But am I the only one that has ever seen stubborn self-centeredness, arrogance, and a willingness to harm others? I've seen my kid just Friday, you know, I think Friday or whatever, hit, you know, a friend of his. Because he wanted what he wanted. And, you know, that, that type of behavior cannot be... If you let go of that, that becomes a real problem. It, it grows. People hit back as adults. And, and life really hurts. So, the lazy liar is one foolish pattern. Another one is the angry manipulator. This, this tends to be a real problem for us as adults. If we don't get what we want, we blow up. and we, we, So we manipulate people in order to get what we want. We control others. We drive our agenda, and the way that this generally looks is this is upset people. So if you're an adult who struggles with anger and blowing up on others, you always want to be in control. This is generally, um, this is where this leads. It's this angry manipulator. Another thing is reckless. Children, all of us who struggle with these heart problems, we might land towards a reckless behavior. We just don't think about consequences. We act first, and then we think later. That, again, we need to... We need to train our children past that. Arrogant limelighter, that grows out of the arrogance in our hearts. That's just the desire to be number one in, in all settings. Work life, church life, family life, just believing that you're more deserving than others. That doesn't work very well in marriage. Your children, you can help your, you can help your children's marriages, future marriages, by helping them with arrogance. Because if it's not dealt with, and then they marry someone, and they continue on with their arrogance, and they want to be number one, their spouse will resent them, and they'll leave. That can't be, they can't be ignored. You can't, we can't be like Eli, watching his sons do harm, and, and say, hey, stop it, stop it, stop it. You know, we, we have to do more than that with our children. Or cruel. So you've got these hard problems and these five foolish patterns, that we can easily fall into. And the media is pulling your children's lives towards these life strategies. This is what you see on TV. People who are angry manipulators sometimes are praised. People who are lazy liars, you know, they're funny guys. So they're praised. And we, we, we see these things on TV all the time. And that's, you know, and then the person who chooses to go against the stream and live with a different set of values, tends to be mocked on TV. So the media is going to be pulling your children towards these things. You have to decide to help your, your children move past them. Not to get stuck there, but to move past them. 
So our job is to train the squirreliness. And the training goal is this. We want a wise adult. That's your goal, a wise adult. A wise person is someone who makes really good decisions. They know how to read a situation. They know how to read people. And they know what's best. So they know how to decide what to do. Look at Proverbs 23, 15 and 16. Proverbs says, My son, if your heart is wise, then my heart will be glad. My inmost being will rejoice when your lips speak what is right. He's saying that down the road, when your kids make wise decisions, that's going to bring real joy to you, parents. When you see your 30-year-old child making wise decisions, just think of how that's going to feel. You know, there, there, There's almost nothing like it when you see your child do the right thing. When you And you didn't put them up to it. You didn't bribe them with $5, but that, that they wanted to do the right thing. Is there anything like that? I mean, can you, you can't pay for that. But just a desire from the inside, you can't pay for that stuff. That's what he's saying in Proverbs. Look at 27.11. It says, Be wise, my son, and bring joy to my heart. Then I can answer anyone who treats me with contempt. Meaning, your kid can even validate your life through their life of wisdom. If they'll make wise choices. Now, don't be too hard on your children and don't be too hard on the children of others because these, the early years, the shaping years, are when they're going to make lots of mistakes. That should be expected. But to do nothing ever is a real problem long term. But your, your kids who make wise decisions, that's going to be a real blessing to you. When other people say, man, your life is a mess, but your children are great and your life is going pretty well, and they, they have all sorts of criticism about your approach to life, but truly, God's blessing your life and God's blessing your, your kids. That, you know, you're able to, you don't have to say anything. They validate who you are and what you stand for. The training needs to go from simple to complex. You don't start by teaching the children algebra or philosophy, you know, but you need to go from simple things to teaching more complex things. Moving from parental control to parental coaching, eventually to self-control. What I mean is, with a two-year-old, you have to keep in mind that they don't need too many options. The key with a two-year-old is survival, right? At least two-year-old boys, you know, it's survival. There's certain things that are, that are dangerous. And so you need to exert a tremendous amount of parental control in the early years. But then there needs to be a shift to parental coaching and eventually self-control. So from two, you take a certain approach. But come 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, you need to shift to a coach. You need to decide to coach your children. Eventually, when they're 16, they got their driver's license if you've allowed them to take that step. And they're, they're on their own. They don't need to have you in the car. They have complete control. So there needs to be this, this slow process of handing over control to them through the years. So that when, they, when they're adults, when they're 18, they're ready to manage life completely. That's really important. Training needs to do this. Training must shape values, not just ideas. Sometimes Christian parents think, I, I just need to teach my kids all of the scriptures. So I need to get my kids to memorize the Bible and to read the Bible. But the problem is, if they have all sorts of information and just ideas, and nobody's helping connect the ideas to reality, then it's not all that helpful. I learned all sorts of songs and Bible verses growing up. And I still made a mess of a lot of my childhood and teenage years because I needed to see how the ideas connect to reality. 
my parents to coach me along and say, you see those verses you're learning? Let, let's talk about how to put that into practice in that situation. So you need to talk about values, not just the ideas. It's possible to develop the right ideas and the wrong value system. So we're going to look at that in a minute. There's two great tasks that they must learn. One, they need to learn how to walk with Jesus Christ. That's the first great task that you need to teach your children. Walk with Jesus Christ. And you know, you cannot lead them to a place that you yourself have never been. So if you do not know Jesus Christ personally, you've never surrendered your life to Him, yielded control to Him, you can't lead them to have a real walk with Jesus Christ unless you've done that yourself. And so I'd encourage you to figure out what does that mean. Let us know. We, we would love to help you understand how to build or how to connect with God and nail that issue down through Jesus Christ. But then you want to learn how to teach them to walk with Him. Second great task they need to learn is how do I handle life from God's perspective? We're going to look at that. There's a training ground. The training ground is everyday life. The gym, you know, we train in the gym. Well, the training ground for your children is life. It's just doing life. Them watching you do life, you walking with them as they do life. We all have grown up in an environment where we learned all sorts of things. That was our training ground, wherever we lived, whoever we were grown up with. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 9 says this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. The Israelites had just received the Ten Commandments, and this is something that God was speaking to, his, to the leader. <clears throat> the leader was speaking to the people. So verse 5 says, You're to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. And these commandments, speaking of the Ten Commandments and, and all that was wrapped up in them, he says, These commandments that I give you today are to be upon your heart. You're to impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road. When you lie down and when you get up, tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. There's this picture of everyday life training. The training ground is real life. It's, this needs to be a part of how we do life. Sharing the God's ways is not something that just happens on a Sunday in a classroom, but the classroom is your home. What you do at home, how you, how you treat your kids, how you treat your spouse, how you treat your friends, they're paying attention. That's the training ground for them. They're learning like little sponges. They're learning and they're applying. And they're mimicking and copying what they see. But we need to discuss this stuff with them. So routine responsibilities, that's the training ground. Chores, you know, when they're getting, when they're getting dressed, you know, the need to get dressed and wear clean clothes timeliness, you know, we've got to get to school, you know, you need to be on time, you're not the most important person in your class, and so you, you need to get there so the rest of your class can learn. There are certain things that, that we can do routinely to help them understand a lot of this stuff. But problem situations, when those things occur, you know, when there's anger, um, first week of school, one of my sons, or my son who's in kindergarten, got pushed, and then he pushed a kid back. And then three kids pushed him down. And I was like, at first, the honest reaction was, who were they? Let's go find them together. And second, how can I teach my kid submission moves so he can deal with this stuff on his own? But the truth is, many of these things will continue, won't it? Does anger go away after kindergarten, first grade, and junior high? No. High school? No. Do you know adults who get in fist fights? And, yeah. Do you see people, you read the news, you 
you know, this stuff doesn't go away. We need to teach, I need to teach my kids to not deal with problem situations by responding in like manner. But I need to, I need to get one, as a, as a dad, I need to think, what would God want me to do here? Not, what do I need to want to do in this situation? But problem people, how do I deal with arrogant kids? How do I deal with bullies? You know, this is the training ground. What about disappointment? You know, when there's something they tried, failed. When someone didn't keep a promise, they need, these are opportunities of shaping for your children. If it's, you know, you guys had a plan, something was going to happen on Saturday, everybody was excited you are going to go to the theme park, Saturday rolls around and pouring rain, and they're disappointed. That's an opportunity to train, to talk about flexibility, changing in plans. Here's the training process. First, we pray. We've got to pray for our kids. We need to be asking God's help for them. Secondly, you teach perspective. What is God's angle on things? We need to help them understand how life really works. What lying leads to when they lie, when you lie. I'm sure everybody here is past lying, but you know I'm not. So uh, I still have that, that, that tendency to want to cover up or to minimize. That's called lying. Or to kind of wash over the truth or gloss over it. That's still called lying. You know, so what, what, what lying leads to to say, you know what, sons, here's what I said, and it was wrong. I didn't tell the truth. You know what, if I continue that pattern, there's consequences. I could lose this. I could lose some friendships. I could lose jobs. And you can too. Helping them understand, connecting the truth of Scripture to reality is really important. What laziness leads to? You struggle with laziness. Helping your children by working on your own laziness and then helping see where that leads. Giving them examples. What anger leads to? We all lose it at times. We all blow our stack. But just clearing it up. Saying, you know what? You know, what do you think would happen, buddy, if, if none of us restrained or none of us stopped ourselves from getting angry? What if we just all were okay with getting angry all the time? It's a war zone. You know, helping them see where behavior leads to. That's what our children need. Teaching them why it works that way. Teaching them, you know, cause and effect. God punishes things. The Scripture promises that God will punish certain behaviors, certain lifestyles. There's also things that God says He'll bless. There's five attitudes in the Old Testament that God says He'll bless. Like there's a promise that there'll be a blessing for those who fear the Lord, trust the Lord, choose teachability, humility, and patience. Those are five attitudes that, the prom- that God promises to bless. And the blessing is over time. You don't see it tomorrow necessarily, but there's a blessing over time. That, that has to be trained into our children. What is right and what is real. Our children need to understand that God is not just true, but He's real. Just like the law of gravity. We all respect the law of gravity. You know, there's other things that we believe, like the earth is 25,000 miles around. The textbook says that. But it doesn't really mean anything. It's, not re- it's true, but it's not real information. But the law of gravity... It's not only true, but we believe it's real, right? We don't step off of two-story buildings and believe we're Superman. We really believe in the law of gravity. It does us well. It's a good thing for us to treat God as real. He's not just true, but we believe that He's real and that He blesses those who walk with Him. And He will also, there's consequences for those who are lawless. For those who ignore His ways, there's real consequences. They need to understand that. We need to train skills. Skills are how-tos. 
Your children need to learn how to relate to people, how to use appropriate words and behavior, how to, how to handle their responsibilities, like dress, you know, like we said, tie their shoes, clean their rooms. They need to learn how to make good decisions. You know, this is extremely important, decision-making. Many, many people are never instructed through parenting on how to make good decisions. And so as adults, we, we, we don't know what to do. When we hit a crossroads, we, we've never been instructed. So parenting, this is, this is critical. Teaching your children how to make wise decisions. Recognizing some decisions are better than others. That's, that's an important thing. It's not all by chance. How to read people. How to read situations. How to deal with you know, this type of problem. We're trying to impart values. We're trying to help them to understand a value system. That there's certain things that they ought to prefer in life. Everything is not equal. There's certain things that, that are more important to God. And we ought to teach them what are those things that God says are more important. You know, one of those things is, and it's a very simple example that I think we all can apply, is people over things. You know, we all have things in our We all have possessions. And we all have people in our lives. And we can live in a way that says things are much, much more important than people. But your, your children need to learn that people are much, much more valuable than stuff. And, and, it, and we're the ones that, that shape their understanding on this by the way that we choose people over things. Sometimes we have to decide to, to be okay with things when they get damaged that are ours. You know, It hurts when, when we give something or we help someone out and we loan someone something and it breaks. You know, Do we go and run the person over and, and let them have it for breaking our stuff? Or do you... Or, or do you, you know, or do you, it depends on what it is, right? <laughs> but people are more important than things. That's a hard lesson. Your children will learn that from you. Also, we want to fuel a desire in them to choose what's more important. Fuel the desire. And then allow appropriate choices and consequences, okay? Appropriate choices and consequences. They need to learn that certain things bring harm. Because if they don't, if you never allow them to experience painful consequences, then they may make a decision that leads to early death, the Scripture says. They need to learn that there are consequences. As children, they need to learn from hot stove, not rattlesnake. You don't want to let them get bit by a rattlesnake, obviously. But there's certain, And you may not want to let them you know, get their hand burned on a hot stove, but if you've got to make a choice, choose hot stove over rattlesnake. Because you value their life, you know, but you want them to learn there are consequences to their actions. We need to stay ahead of our competitors. We have competitors as parents. We're not going to go into this, but the media mentors, the media is trying to mentor. They want to come alongside your children and they want to shape their lives for their own gain because it brings money to the advertisers, it brings money to companies. If they can mentor your children into buying their products, they have a training program for your children, it, it profits them. And they will define what is cool. The media defines what's cool in our society, what's really best. And so it's defined through TV, through movies, through superstars, through, through you know, video games, peer pressure, all sorts of things. And so you have to help your children understand the pressure of the media on their lives. They have to sometimes be willing to, to not be with the direction of the culture if it means um, compromising high-valued things. Also, 
you can give them real mentors. There's people in, in the church. You know, if your children are part of our, our children's ministry, their teachers, in a way, can serve as mentors. If they're youth, they're youth leaders. You want them to be around those kinds of mentors, helping them to shape their lives rather than letting handing the role of mentorship to the TV or to Hollywood. Because we don't want the results. There'll be regret down the road. Um, there's a website, Focus on the Family. You can check that out, put that in there for you. Also in November, we're going to do a, a seminar. A friend of mine who is um, a, specialty, a specialist in marriage and family, has been for like 30 years, he's going to come and he's going to do a seminar for us called the Parenting Challenge. He's going to look at the, the, the forces that are working against our children and how as parents we have to be attuned to this stuff. We have to recognize what you might be doing may be completely worked against by the culture we live in. If we're not careful, again, we hand the mentoring over to someone else. Last couple things. We want to be the example that he or she needs. 1 Corinthians 11.1 1 says, Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. Paul, the guy who wrote this, leader in the early church, you know, his example was Jesus Christ. He had Jesus. He was looking at the model. And he's saying, you know, I'm, I'm marching in the same manner that he marched. My life is being patterned after the Lord Jesus Christ. And he's saying to the church who... Many of them came to Christ after Jesus had already you know, died, been resurrected, and ascended to the Father. So he's, he's saying, look, follow my example. I'm headed, I'm moving in this direction. I want you to follow my example. I'm following Christ. We can be that example. We can be the ones that can be shaping the direction of our kid's life. You're his model. You're her model. Boy or girl, doesn't matter. You are their model. Emotionally, how do you handle your emotions? You're the model. They're watching you. That, that should be a, a, a sobering, scary thing for us. That they're, We're their greatest teachers in life. Relationally, we're their model. How do you deal with people? The way that you deal with people imprints upon them a model for how to treat others. If you think you're more important than everyone else, they'll think they're more important than anyone else. Than everyone else. Generally, you meet somebody and you're like, wow, that kid is really wrapped around himself. And then you meet the parent, okay, I understand why. <laughs> it's true. We're imprinting little models. So, spiritually, how real is God to you? Practically, be the spiritual adult that he or she can imitate. Be that kind of person. Parents, we tend to say, you know, do as I say. Right? Do as I say, not as I do. Uh, but God... Uh, Studies have been done on this. UC Berkeley did a study in the 80s looking at religious behavior among children. And here's what they found. Kids will profess what mother said. They'll, they'll, they'll talk mama, but they'll walk daddy. They do, whatever, or they do whatever they saw their dad do, generally speaking. So dads, this is extremely important. The, the, the behavior you set. Moms, what you say is extremely important. But no, they're going to pay attention to what dad really does. This is a strong challenge for us. So there, we want kids to follow God, but do we do that? Do we put sports, do we put fun, TV, entertainment ahead of our, of our spiritual growth? Are you paying a price to grow with God? I think that's a tough question. We have, well, I'll have to answer that. Am I paying a price to really grow? Am I sacrificing to grow? Or is it you know, kind of at the bottom of my barrel priorities.
Do we give God the crumbs of our time, our money, our energy? Because if we do, they will do the same thing. They will give Him the leftovers as well, if that's all they see from you. And again, we think, oh, it's all by chance. My kid, you know, I could do everything right and he goes on the way. And the Scripture generally speaks to the fact that train a child in the way he will go. In the end, you know, he's not going to depart from it. There's a, there's, it's not 100% foolproof, but the Scripture says, this, you know, if you employ what God says, you know, generally speaking, you're going to see your child learn to walk with God and handle life well. Do we dilly-dally dilly around instead of taking obedience seriously? God says, you know, work on this area, and He brings it to us, brings it up to us. Maybe there's something in a message or someone says, or you read the Bible and you recognize God is trying to say something to you. Do you dilly-dally around with that? Do you just kind of, I'm not really going to do anything with it, or do you put it into practice? Your children will do the same thing they see you do. So set the example of dedication. And then last, just pray and work to keep their hearts. I think we all want to we all want to know that when we, when our kids are raised, that we've held on to their hearts. That we've not been passive, and their hearts have been led in a direction that cares nothing about what God says. We want to know that their hearts, you know, as Proverbs twenty three, my son, give me your heart. This is a precious thing that God entrusts to us. This is the hearts of our children, and the direction setting example. It is nobody else's responsibility. You don't want to give that to the media. You don't want to give that to the church even. You are the primary person that God asks to take responsibility for your children. Now as a church, we want to come alongside you and support you, but it's not our job to do the primary parenting for you. And in our heart, we want to provide mentors and models, and we want to provide opportunities to shape this stuff and and to challenge you. Um, But... Each one of us will have to answer to God on this issue of how did, how did we how did we do? Did we live with regrets or did we did we take this area seriously? Because it really matters. Generations of children, just generations will come who honor God and walk with Him if we'll take this seriously. So let's let's go to the Lord in prayer. I realize I've I've spoken a little longer than than usually, but this is an area that you know we. As a society, we, we really can't ignore. So let's go to the Lord in prayer, and then the band's going to sing two more songs for us. Father, we thank you so much for your word. God, we thank you for just your, your Holy Spirit who speaks to us, God. Who We thank you for being real, God, and not just being this mysterious force that created everything and then went to sleep. But God, thank you that you speak to us on a regular basis if we'll listen. Lord, you speak through your word, you speak through others. And so, Lord, I pray that as we've, as we've examined some principles in the Bible and read a few stories, Lord, Father, that these would be more than ideas, that you would help move these ideas into reality in the way that we handle our responsibility as parents. Lord, help us to start where we're at. I know that we've laid out all sorts of principles here and it can seem overwhelming. So, God... Would you help us, Lord, to to not be overwhelmed, but to try to just start where we're at and with the encouragement of others to move forward, Lord. We just right now, collectively, together, we, we entrust our children to you, God. We want our children to be dedicated to you, Lord. We want our kids to learn to walk with you and to see life from your angle because, Lord, we want what's best for them, Lord. And we know you do, God, and you can be trusted. 
So give us the strength, Father, to do this. In Jesus' name, amen. One last thing is our...